come to bring the message, I have to respond to a need for praise this morning. Both Carol Moore and Ken Markham came up to me and said, we just need to give a shout out to the Lord for inspiring all the giving uh, for the school supplies that were brought this morning that just filled the corner out in, in the foyer. They're going to be filling the remaining backpacks of, of the 50 backpacks to take to the Springfield Soup Kitchen to give to children in need. And if you want to do that after worship, you are invited and, and certainly welcome to join them as, as they do that. But God bless you uh, for each of you that brought things to give, not just for that, but for the, the children's program of the church as well. There's quite a few things out there. Uh, and, and I'm glad that we get to, to be together this morning. And it, there's a lot of last minute, I realize, family vacations going on uh, before school starts. Some of you might have even come from the camp or the church directly this morning. Uh, and last week, now as I thought about my message this morning, I kind of thought of starting because Sharon Valerie asked me, Bill, are you going to be talking about prayer again? Because the Lord's really leading me to sing this song, and I want to sing this song this past week. And uh, as, as I, I stepped down from the time of prayer, I said, are you singing? And she said, no, but I do have a praise. And her mind was a little occupied this week, which is okay, because both she and Scott have a new grandbaby that was born this past week, Elena Grace. And so we want to celebrate that with them and the Muscatis as well, but just a, a good reason not to be able to, uh, to do that this morning as a special. But we're finishing this series on great expectations based in the scriptures in Psalm 138. I'm going to ask you to turn there once again. And I hope this has been super helpful to you. I know that I've been blessed personally in this season of change and kind of an uplifting in my family because of David's words. We have unpacked some pretty big expectations that we place on God's shoulders. But we've also seen what God anticipates and expects from us as well. And today we're going to talk about the, the prayer and really the last two verses of Psalm 138. And I want to read there with you, if you would, Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8. It's there the psalmist says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Well, today's expectation is based on that last phrase. I expect God not to quit on me. I love the way the message uh, paraphrase puts this. It says, when I walk in the thick of trouble, keep me alive in the angry turmoil. With one hand, strike my foes. With your other hand, save me. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. I love that. Now, I, I am no expert on prayer. I struggle just like many uh, of you do. And I wonder in this world, is anyone really a complete expert on prayer? But I'm just learning that a huge part of, of walking with God is just having this conversation of talking with Him and living in the awareness of His presence every day of your life and keeping those lines of communication open throughout the day in everything that we do. I'm learning it just fills you up with things like perseverance and faith and hope and, and peace and power. And today I thought I'd begin by asking the question, why would I ever expect God to, for, to give up on me in the first place? Now, 
if you were to think about that for a moment, I'm sure you could come up with a lot of answers to that question. But a big one probably is because of our human relationships. People have done that. They've given up on us. They've overlooked us. Some people in this world have just outright turned their backs on us. And and something within us just expects that whatever turned them off, it must turn God off at the same time. And in the most desperate times of our life, we begin to think, so what's the use of prayer anyway? I mean, if God already knows everything, then please tell me, what is the point of prayer? And can you really change the mind of God? Does he even care in the first place? And then if you're down and out, you may even wonder, why would God care for a lump like me? Why would he care for such a loser like me? You know, with texting and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff, uh, this past week I was having to fill out some forms on Shawnee High School's website, and I took a look at their student guidebook, and it had some warnings there for parents and students about not letting your kids on websites like MySpace. And I laughed and thought, MySpace? Who uses MySpace anymore? I mean, that was a company started back in 2003. It kind of uh, faltered around 2012. But if you think about it, social media, social networking, uh, email, it's just a way of life that we have in 2019. We live in a wireless culture that's quick, super convenient, but it can also be super frustrating too, can't it? You ever work on something, maybe for hours, and finally when you send it off, it just kind of vaporizes out there somewhere into the cyberspace? Prayer can feel like that sometimes. There was a guy named George Buttrick that once said this some time ago. He said, prayer seems a spasm of words lost in a cosmic indifference. He wrote those words in 1942, before the fast-paced, tech-driven world in which we live. It seems like the longer that we all live, the less face-to-face conversations we actually have with people, let alone to have time for reflection and prayer. And the ironic thing about the speed of technology is it's leaving us with this nagging sense still that we don't have enough time to get all the things done that we need to do. We're moving faster than ever before, but we are more frazzled, jumpy, uh, tired, anxious, and empty. And to have a time spent talking to God, we wonder, where does that even fit into the schedule? And if you were able to, would he truly listen? Does a busy God have time to listen to someone as small as me? Can he deal with the trivia of, of my life when he's managing all the prayers of the universe, when he's managing all the the, the systems and the functions that happen day to day. Can you get through to God? Can you use up all your data? Or, Or does he have this unlimited messaging plan? Is prayer just a spasm of words lost in a cosmic indifference? What I hope to do this morning as as we wrap this series up is I just want to take a shot at this and hopefully convince you if you're not sure or confirm for you what you already know, many of you in your hearts, and that is not only does God care and desire our prayers, but God is trustworthy as a Father, as our Lord and Savior and friend. 
And to get to that understanding, I, I want to share with you the unbroken benefits of a life spent trusting God. And to me, this first one is huge. We trust God for our redemption. It was the psalmist again who said, though I walk in the midst of trouble, God, you're the one who preserves my life. And to me, redemption is, is simply confessing a, a personal need to be released from the confining prison, to be released from the confinement of my own selfishness, my own pride, my own ego. We come to God in prayer just like David did because we need to. Friends, it is hardwired within each one of us. According to a recent Gallup poll, more people will pray this week than will work out, drive a car, or punch a clock at work. Tribal people for centuries have been pleading and singing and, and dancing before their, quote, gods, looking for healing, for rain, uh, praying for their crops, for children, for protection. Maybe you've got Muslim friends who will stop and pray faithfully towards Mecca five times a day to Allah. People in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, they will begin their meetings praying to a higher power, looking for, for answers to help them manage their unmanageable lives and get them back on track. I think all of those things are, are just signs. It really is hardwired within each one of us. And I believe every one of us in our soul longs to truly connect with the one and only God who made us, even for those that aren't sure of his identity, even for those who question, does he even exist? And even for those who wonder why he seems so distant to them. I believe every one of us in our soul long to connect with the one true God. We need to pray. We pray because we're empty. We pray because we're grateful. We pray because we're scared. You ever take a trip on the airplane? You, you hit turbulence on an airplane, everybody prays, right? We pray when we feel helpless. We pray for answers on a test. We pray for test results from the doctor. We pray for our dad to be healed. We pray for a deal to go through at work. We pray for strength. We, we pray for peace and assurance in life, and we pray for forgiveness and redemption. Why? We can't help not praying. Our gut, our soul knows we were made by and for God, and we know that we've sinned. And sometimes for Christians, the temptation is we hold on to our sin and selfishness because we have this unspoken belief that God is so heavenly good, he's no earthly good. And we forget the incarnation of his love. One who was, as we remember at this table, betrayed by a friend's kiss. We forget the divine betrayed, the divine suffering, the extremity of pain at the press of a crown of thorns upon his head. And when it comes to the world, despite its allure and its distractions and all the things that happen, a thorn is all this world has to offer. Jesus came and he bore the heavy weight of a crossbeam to Calvary. He received the nails in his hands and feet. The penalty of a thief, like the two thieves that were crucified alongside him. But friends, the only thing he ever took in this world were my sins. 
and your sins, our penalty. It's an expression of liberation that comes in the redemption he offers in Lamentations chapter 3 in the Old Testament and Jeremiah's words again. In verse 55 through 59, when Jeremiah wrote, I called on you, Lord. I called on your name from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you. And you said, do not fear. You, Lord, you took up my cause, my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. Friends, we can recognize in in that redemption that he provides for us our own sinfulness, but also his acknowledgement that he understands. He knows and he meets us where we are. It brings a few awarenesses to our life. Number one, it reminds us that God is fully aware of the troubles in our life. He's not a distracted God. He's not distracted by the billions of processes and billions of prayers that we think get priority over what's happening to us individually. He never takes his eyes off of us to to startle himself at something new or surprising because he knows everything. He's got this laser-like focus, and that means he's dependable. And we can embrace our smallness, and we can lean into God's bigness. In fact, the word for prayer, it comes from an old Latin word, precarious. It's the word from which we get precarious. We pray in precarious situations. We pray because we're in trouble, and God knows the precarious situations that we are in. You know the only thing that Jesus' disciples ever asked him to teach them? They didn't come to him after the wedding at the Cana of Galilee and said, you know, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to change that water into wine? I mean, we're going to a lot of parties in our future, and man, that's going to get some attention. Can you teach us how to do that? They didn't ask that. They didn't say, can you teach us how you multiplied the loaves and the fishes on the hillside? I mean, we're going to be carrying the good news of you into the world, and if that's going to get attention... You need to teach us how to do that, Jesus. Can you teach us how to do that walk on water thing? The one and only thing they asked him was, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Pray like you? You see, they'd seen all the hypocritical religious leaders. They'd heard all the scripted, fake, and dishonest prayers that they had to offer. But when they heard Jesus pray, They heard one who spoke to his father with passion, with sincerity, with with authenticity. And so they asked him, teach us how to have this life-giving connection in the midst of our troubles. And when we pray in our troubles, friends, it is a powerful thing. Remember what Jesus' half-brother James said? In last week's message in James 5.16, he said the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. And maybe you look at that and go, well, Bill, (laughs) that obviously counts me out because I am not a righteous person by far. Friends, he's not talking about your perfection. He's not talking about your attempts at righteousness because we have no righteousness on our own. It comes from Jesus himself. We are simply people of the second chance 
who humbly acknowledge, God, we have nowhere else to turn. Only you have the words of life. Only you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, it's only through your redemptive work in Jesus Christ that we even have the right to be heard. And when we do, friends, we encounter not only God's knowledge of the situation and his power, but we also experience how God preserves our life. William Booth is a name that that many of you will recognize. He was born uh, in Nottingham County in England in 1829. He was born to a rather wealthy family, but, but, but William's father lost everything they had and they became poor and destitute. He grew up in a situation of of poverty. And at 13, uh, Booth was apprenticed to a pawnbroker to make a living. But William Booth had a dream. I want to share it to you in his own words. He said, I had a dream and I saw a dark and stormy ocean. Over it, the black clouds hung heavily, though every now and then a vivid flash of lightning came and thunder rolled while the winds moaned and the waves rose and foamed, towered and broke, only to rise and foam, tower and break again. In that ocean I thought I saw a myriad of human faces plunged beneath the waves. I heard them curse and scream, rise and shriek again, and some of them sank to rise no more. And then I saw rising out of this dark, angry ocean a mighty rock that rose with its summit towering high above the black clouds and out of the stormy sea. And all around the base of this great rock I saw a platform. And onto this platform I saw a great number of people, the poor, struggling, drowning wretches, continually clamoring and climbing up out of the angry ocean. I saw a few of those who were already safe on the platform helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach that place of safety. And William Booth acknowledged that rock in the midst of the sea was was Jesus. And he said, one of those hands reaching out to save others to the safety of the rock must be mine. And he would go on to found the Salvation Army. Because God alone, he recognized, preserves a life. When any one of us, when someone comes humbly to the Lord and and unpacks his expectations, you find a powerful thing. Friends, God is a life preserver without expiration, without flaw. He's never logged down with water. He's never unable to keep your head above water if you will strap yourself in to his care. You search the pages of scripture and you will find Abraham prayed, Moses prayed, David prayed, Nehemiah, beautiful prayers. Uh, You'll find Daniel praying, Ezekiel praying, Ruth will pray, Elijah prayed, Mary prayed, Martha prayed, John prayed, Peter prayed, and most importantly, Jesus prayed. He prayed to the one who could preserve his life. And you might say, well, yeah, Bill. But he prayed for the cup of suffering to be removed from him. He prayed for for preservation of his life. And if that's all you see, friends, you're only playing the short game. And you're not seeing the bigger picture. Because Psalm 16.9 expresses well the thoughts of our Lord and Savior. 
It's repeated in the New Testament, but it says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Did God preserve? Yes, he did beyond what this world could understand, so that you and I might know the gift of his life. And then it also expresses, because he's our redeemer, he's also our protector. You know, whenever I'm tempted, uh, whenever I'm upset in this life, sometimes my, my soul wants to say, you know, Jesus, are you listening? I mean, is my relationship with you on airplane mode right now? Did you actually get my text message? And God reminds me of the value of talking often with my Father in heaven. You know, friends, prayer, it's, it's just basically keeping company with God. And he reminds me from time and time again that he is the one who spoke this universe into existence. And he's the one who chooses to speak life into me. I grew up singing that, that old chorus, and I think it was Bill and Gloria Gaither that, that first wrote it. It simply says, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. So you might as well get thee behind me, Satan. You cannot prevail because Jesus never fails. How many of you know that to be true? Amen. Among the unbroken benefits of trusting God, first is redemption, and then another unbroken benefit must be salvation. Trusting in the ultimate display of God's promise. Friends, remember the hopelessness when you were lost. Prayer in that relationship with God, it's kind of like LASIK for the soul. Some of you have had that surgery for your eyes, or maybe you had cataract surgery. I know we've got a lot in this church that have had that surgery done. But those surgeries, they correct your vision. And you know, every time I get up from praying, whether I'm getting up from my office chair, whether I'm getting up from uh, the glider that we have at home on the front porch, or I may be walking uh, with earbuds in, uh, I may be sitting on a rock, overlooking a stream in the woods, but wherever I've been praying, every time I get up, I can see a little better. It gives me the proper reminder and perspective of who God is and who I am not. It reminds me, as the psalmist said, you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and God, it's with your right hand. You save me. James again said in, in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And when I'm able to talk to God, it enables me to embrace my smallness, my sinfulness, and, and just rely upon his bigness. I need a savior. Maybe you remember the story of this guy in scripture named Job. You've probably heard of him before. Had a lot of tragedy in his life. Uh, Job lost his, he lost his family, or at least most of his family. He lost his finances. He lost his health for a while. And he gets really, really honest to God. And he just starts unpacking his heart to God. And he says, God, this world, my world, is falling apart. 
in case you haven't noticed, God, it's coming apart at the seams, and, and he wants to spew some really honest dialogue with God, like, God, where are you anyway? Can't you see the pressure this puts me in? Can't you see the strain on my emotions and my heart? Can you see me? Can you save me? Uh, could you at least just show up? And God does just that. And uh, in one of the coolest sections of the, the Old Testament, God shows up and he poses some rapid-fire questions to Job. And I love this. In Job 38, verse 1 through 7, it says, The Lord spoke to Job out of a storm, out of a physical reality storm, and out of the storm in his life, in his heart. And he said, Who is this that obscures my, with words, excuse my plans with words without knowledge? Job, you brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Job, where were you when I laid this earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, Job? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Do you remember what that sounded like, Job? You must because you were there. And just on and on, God goes until Job just submits before God and he says, Okay, God, sorry I brought it up. No, I mean, he's, he's just overwhelmed. Prayer helps us reverse the role and recognize I'm not God. He is God, and I am not. There is someone greater than me, someone bigger than me, someone smarter, someone wiser, someone more loving to me, and that's the one I need to be not just my redeemer, but I need him to be my salvation. Friends, we have an enemy in Satan and in this world that distorts our vision and makes us want to believe that, that this world and the health and the welfare of our lives and our family and more all depends on us. And it throws a cloud over what's important and not in this life. What's worthy of your affection and then what's not. And I love what Philip Yancey once wrote about this. Great author. He said this, prayer and only prayer restores my vision to the one that more resembles God's vision. I awake from my blindness to see. Wealth, it lurks as a terrible danger, not a goal worth striving for. That value depends not upon race or status, but on the image of God that every person bears. That no amount of effort to improve physical beauty has much relevance for the world beyond. Prayer does that for me. And it will do that for you. Prayer will remind you, you need a Savior. It will bring you into the reality that there is a right way and a wrong way to live. That there is one who saves me from the paycheck of my sins, who saves me from myself. And he says, Bill, I so love this world. I so love you. I've given my one and only son to die and pay for the penalty for your sins. And if you believe in him, you don't have to die. You don't have to live this life with an air of death following you everywhere you go. You can receive eternal life. And in prayer, I get a healthy awareness of my own sinfulness and God's vast love and mercy. And, I, and in prayer sometimes, I'll admit, I feel really, really, really small. And you know why that is? 
It's because I am really, really, really small. And I need to be reminded of that. There is so much wisdom in this verse from the Old Testament that says, be still and know that I am God. You know, the original language that's translated as be still, it literally means to vacate. It's the word that we get vacation from. And so literally when we're called to prayer, God is inviting us to a time of vacation. He's saying, come down from this corner CEO office of your life and just let me be God in your life today and always. You can't save yourself. And life really is this epic story of God's greatness and glory. Life is the story of his fame and his goodness and his plan and his saving love for us. And it reminds me, friends, I'm not the star of the show. I'm just a small bit player in the background in this grand and epic story of his love. I'm not the lead producer. I'm not the director. I'm not the script writer. My name's not on the marquee. I'm not, if they list, you know, those end of movie credits someday, I'm going to be the third up from the third page, the bottom of the list that says bald guy played by Bill Warrex. That's where I'm going to be on the list. But God's love is unfailing. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's our redemption. He's our salvation. And then that last benefit of trusting in God is is the gift of completion. And friends, this is huge. You can anticipate God to work on you with eager hands. Prayer means we step back and we know in prayer that God will never give up on us. In fact, he promises us he will work within each of our lives. And he says, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're burdened. And we yoke ourselves to him. And I I love the, the lyrics of that song that Mercy Me sings that says, bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be so much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not all right. But that's all right, because I hear a voice, and he calls me redeemed when others say I'll never be enough. And greater is the one that's living inside of me than the one who's living in the world. So bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. There's no condemnation here. You are holy, you are righteous and redeemed. I hear a voice. He calls me redeemed. There'll be days I lose the battle. Grace will say it doesn't matter. Because his cross has already won the war. So if I could just wrap this up this morning, friends. Unpack your life before God. And just be honest. There's, some, there's great power in just being honest. And don't you need a place where you can be completely honest? You don't have to live up to. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to conceal the truth or fake it. You don't have to be concerned with with image management because he truly is the one that knows you personally inside and out. You might have friends that know you well. You might have children that know you even better. You might have a spouse that knows you better than anybody else on the planet, but they don't know everything. God does. And it stands to reason that only he can qualify to be the one who can work in my life. 
You see, it's only he that can work all things really together for the good of those who loves him. You see, I want to be one of those what you see is what you get kind of people in this world. But there are things about myself that I can't even see. And I need God to express that as he works in my life. In the book of Proverbs, there's this verse that simply says in Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So I need to say, God, what's really true about my heart? I mean, let's have one of those DTR moments, one of those define the relationship moments. God, is, is my heart really beyond repair? Am I damaged goods? Am I salvageable? We pray, as, as Psalm 139.23 says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. God, what's true about me? And friends, if you'll do that, you will see the evidences of God's continual sweat equity in your life through his Holy Spirit. He'll take root in you through his word, through his truth, and suddenly you'll have your answer. God, are you ever going to quit on me? <laughs> quit on you? My son said it. Verily I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Quit on you? You are God's field. You are God's building. 1 Corinthians 3.9 Life is at work in you. 2 Corinthians 4.12 Give up on you. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. And I love how Paul said it. In Philippians 1.6, he said, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Give up on you? Never. Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Friends, you can expect he will never quit on you. He will give you a freedom that's unlike anything else in this world. He will give you a wonder and a wildness within life because God really is for you, not against you. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come back up at this time. And as we finish now this morning, and I hope again, this Psalm 138 is just a beautiful psalm. I hope it speaks to your heart. I hope you stay in God's word always. But I just want to ask you, uh, what kind of prayer are you? You can compare our, our prayer life to musical styles at many times. Sometimes you pray like classical music, right? You might be standing at the edge of a field, standing at the edge of a waterfront on a pier, just watching the sun go down. And you could, it's like you feel something swelling up inside of you. And it's like you've got this string section that starts playing low, and, and then the woodwinds kick in, and then the brass section starts to blast, and you get the percussions going. And sometimes you might even throw a kettle drum in there or a cannon like Tchaikovsky did in his overture, and you just praise God in like these classic music um, movie scenes almost. Something inside you just pours itself out before God. Sometimes I pray like classical music, and sometimes it's more like pop. <laughs> when I want to express myself, I'm doing good, and, and I've got that Pharrell Williams song in the back of my mind, you know, I'm happy, 
and I just want to move my feet. I just, I just want to sing. I'm so grateful for what God is doing in my life. And sometimes my prayers are like pop music, and sometimes my prayers, they're like hip-hop. You know, I want to bring out the beat. Boom, 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 boom. I want to get the big old rims out and put them on the Chrysler Town and Country, you know, crank the bass way up, roll the windows down, move the seat back a little bit, hang one arm out the window, the other on the steering wheel, just as I recognize through the beat, you know, that, that God is there for me. And I, I just love hanging out with God in prayer. Sometimes my prayers are like jazz. Anybody like jazz here this morning? I, I know some of you went to the jazz festival in London yesterday. Uh, sometimes our prayers are like jazz. Jazz is a kind of music, man, it is all over the place. It's music for the people here that have ADHD, okay, or schizophrenia one. One minute it's here, the other minute it's over here. It's all over the place, and sometimes that's exactly how our prayers are. It's all improv. And other times, you know, I pray like rock music. I'm focused with a driving beat, and I'm, I'm just knocking. I'm just knocking. Jesus, you said if I would just keep asking. You said if I would just keep knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, you know, that it's going to come through. And so that's my prayer. Other times for me, it's more like country music. Dom and I were talking this week about Olivia's love for country music, not ours. But country music, it's, it's all about the stories, right, that we can relate to. Something about my prayers at times are like country music. It's just pouring out your story to God and recognizing that we all share the same kind of stories, that some of us are like the rest of us. And it helps me get my eyes off of myself in prayer that I can see other people dealing with, with things far greater or even similar to what I, I am going through. Then there's times of prayer for me that, that it gets very raw and, and very real. And it's more like the blues. You ever pray like that? They're in the Bible. All you got to do is read the book of Lamentations. You know, read, read Habakkuk. Read through the Psalms. Read through Jeremiah or the Song of Solomon's. Or even read the prayers of Jesus and you'll see. There's times those prayers are just exposed. But friends, no matter what musical style you pray in, Pray. Recognize that God loves to hear our prayers. He delights in answering them. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Stay connected to the lover of your soul. Let's do that now. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you, friends, and if you have a need before the Lord, I want you to pray about that, and then I want you to respond to that. You know, even on that scripture I read for our prayer time today, Jesus prayed, and then he was baptized, and it was as he came out of the water, he heard the good pleasure of the Father, and maybe today's the day, it's time for you to be baptized. It's time for you to wash your sins away and to become a person of the second chance, of the third chance, of the fourth chance, and more. Nobody will love you like the Heavenly Father loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning just grateful for the gift of prayer. And sometimes it's unused. In fact, if we, uh, if we pray to you as much as we glance at our phones, Father, our lives would be so much richer and deeper. Our stress would be so much less. 
the exposure of our sin would be more real so that we could seek your forgiveness and really live the life that you want us to live. I just bless you for being the one, Lord, through your word and by your spirit and by the example, even of those who take your word seriously. You really do show us where the good way is and you show us how to walk in it and you go there with us. Lord, every plan you have for us is just a beautiful thing. And I'm thankful for those that have come into this world and some of them have, like John the Baptist, they've, they've raised up the low valleys, they've flattened the hills because sometimes we're in the valley and our hearts need to be lifted up to really meet with you. Sometimes we're arrogant we make our own mountaintop and we need to be knocked down. But the reality is, Jesus, when you came into this world, you came so we could all meet you on level ground. It's a path that leads us to your cross and what you did for us. And Father, I just bless you for being the God that doesn't just meet every expectation. You go beyond. You are the God of great expectations, and I thank you for the series. I thank you for your work in the hearts of everyone here in different ways, to different measures. But for the one who needs to respond this morning, whatever that response may be, help them make it in obedience to you, in Jesus' name, amen.